Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. This is John Katsimatidis. It's 9-11, a very solemn day in New York, and a day none of us will ever forget. And uh, in the studio, we have uh, uh, Governor... Uh, uh, hmm. Governor Pataki, who is our hero and, and put everything together and, uh, uh, and ran the state and, uh, helped, uh, Rudy, uh, uh, run our city. And, uh, between the two of you, you guys, uh, brought us back. Well, thank you, John. It was, uh, <laughs> uh, we worked very well together, but, uh, to me, it's always the firefighters, uh, the police officers, the construction workers, the EMTs, the people of New York who brought us back. Yes. I'm proud of the leadership we provided, but, you know, it was just inspirational every day to see the people down there at Ground Zero. And uh, we have uh, Rudy Washington, who is deputy mayor under uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani. And we have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, who at that time, were you a judge at that time? No, or, I was or a, did you work for Peter Vallone? I was Peter Speaker. We went down to Ground Zero. We went around to all the different places where they had the pictures posted. Wow. In the armories. And it was my, a horrible day. And my co-host, uh, uh, Rita Cosby. Rita, where were you? You know, I was a senior correspondent for Fox News covering Intel and aviation. Um, and actually had requested an interview with bin Laden about a year before. Uh, he doesn't speak to women. That was the answer I got, by the way. But I was about to go to breakfast at the Twin Towers that day, and I canceled the night before. So wow. God was looking out yeah, for me. Yeah, God certainly was looking wow. out for me. Absolutely. So to me, it's a very personal day. And, and I'm thinking I lost up my dear friend Barbara Olson, yeah. was on the plane that slammed into the Pentagon. Um, so like all of us, we lost so many people that day. Governor, you want to start this? Tell us about it. You know, uh, 22 years later, it's still something that to me is very emotional. You know, it was just a horrible, horrible day. You know, uh, 3,000 innocent people killed, murdered, really, and going to work that morning with no idea that they would be suddenly attacked. We weren't at war. We wonder we weren't uh, being uh, attacked by anybody. And out of the blue, this happened. And, uh, uh, you know, it was just a tremendous uh, catastrophe, disaster. But and when, you know, Rita, you just mentioned Barbara Olson and all of us that day lost so many friends and coworkers and people we knew. But you just had to put it aside. You couldn't be emotional that day. When you're a leader in a time of crisis, you have to put everything aside except executing what you believe is necessary to get us through that. Nobody knew what was going on. I, I was telling people this morning uh, when I was on with Sid and then I was on with a few other people that nobody knew what was going on. Uh, I know uh, the you guys did the right thing. You closed the bridges down. and uh, uh, But uh, the next morning, uh, I wanted to get my stores open, uh, the Gristini's and D'Agostino's, and I I put on my gun because I didn't know if the Taliban are going to come down Broadway. Who, who knew? Yeah, you don't. And, and by the way, that night, I actually, I was in Connecticut. Um, I was I was visiting family obviously went right to work but then i also took a train i took the first train i remember that was working from stanford connecticut at that time to uh dc where i was based at the time and the door opened i'll never forget this moment guys the door opened on the subway and it was all of the survivors many of them coming on covered in soot and then i came home to the pentagon i was living near the pentagon and it was still smoldering yeah it, it was just uh, uh an unbelievably Difficult day, but John, what you were saying was so right. We didn't know what might happen next. We, we, didn't we know. Did, you know, we didn't know if the attacks were over or if they were going to continue. A few days later, we had those anthrax attacks, and people in New York died, and we didn't know how extensive that might be. So, so you just had to act. And one of the first things I did was close the bridges and tunnels, and close the airspace, and call up the National Guard and and uh, bring them into New York City to help. But uh, you know, it was. A, a terrible day, but on the other hand, you have to be proud of how New Yorkers came together and responded. Really, Americans came together and responded that day. Yeah, we were unified as a country. You I know, mean, today. Rita, that's the second tragedy. The first is what happened that day. The second is we were as unified after September 11th as 
any time in my entire 97% life. Ninety-seven percent supported uh, George W. Bush, President Bush, when he stood on top uh, at the World Trade Center and said, "We will bring our country together." Ninety-seven percent. You don't see numbers like that. No, and I, you'll never see them again. And I hope we never see a tragedy like this again. But uh, those, Governor, that was. I'm we afraid united- you're wrong. The way people are coming through that border, the way the people are coming through the border unchecked, undocumented, uh, not knowing who they are, uh, the police department in New York fingerprints them, and they still don't know who they are. So there's no criminal records. John, I don't have any records on that. John, I, I, I totally agree. We are going to have more terrorist incidents, and it's going to be because we why, have an open yeah. border. Why are we checking people at the airports, uh, letting, <laughs> letting them take their pants down and their belts off? I know. When, when uh, you know, all they have to do is fly to uh, Mexico and walk over. We How have sad. a no-fly list of people who can't come to this country. We know hundreds of them have crossed the southern border, and it's just despicable, you know, and I was downtown earlier and people saying what you've done at the memorial is important so that young people realize and don't forget. Well, sometimes we need to have the older people not forget. And I fear that Joe Biden is one of those who I think he forgot a lot. This. And uh, he certainly has appreciated the danger that these terrorists pose. Yeah, the border us. is and Rudy, that is a huge Rudy Washington, issue. you were deputy mayor under Rudy Giuliani at that time, the mayor. Yes. Uh, where, where were you? What were you doing? Well, uh, the first airplane went in and, um, and I was going to an MTA board meeting, and um, I diverted to downtown. And as I was walking in, because I asked the guards at the gate, where, where was the mayor? And they said he's down at the building. And as I was walking in, I was walking into thousands of people walking out in panic. And as I approached World Trade Center, I saw one of our former commissioners. She, recently, she passed years ago, uh, and she was standing there. And I didn't realize it at the time. She was in, she was in shock. She was holding a police helmet over her head. And I said, where's the mayor? Where? And she pointed to the door. And as I turned to walk, she grabbed me on the shoulder. She never talked to me. And all she did was point it up. And I couldn't understand. And I'm looking at the paper and everything floating, and a body comes through. Oh, my, oh and my she's, goodness. She's trying to tell me as you approach the building, keep, look, look up. Because Rudy's in the lobby. And just as I began to walk to the door, I hit a wall of firemen and policemen running out. I didn't know what they were running for. Um, but obviously, they heard something in that building, and they knew it was coming down. And I was determined not to let them get ahead of me, even though I was wearing brand-new shoes with no grips. And as I passed Rosemary, the commissioner, um, I told my driver who was with me, we can't leave her. We went back and literally picked, she was wearing heels and picked her up and carried her and put her in, in a police van and they drove off. Which commissioner? Uh, com- uh, commissioner Rosemary O'Keefe. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And I pushed her in there. He drove off and the building started to fall. I was standing by the, I think it's Trinity church. I was standing right there. And I managed to outrun the building, and it caught me at Broadway. Uh, so I was caught in the plume. I mean, I guess we were lucky it didn't tip over. Right. Right. I mean, You're uh, right, because it would have taken other buildings with it. It would have taken a lot of wow. other buildings, but right. a lot of other people. Wow. And then the first phone call, when I got back into City Hall, the first phone call I got was from the governor, uh, Governor Pataki. And he says, Rudy, where's the mayor? And I said, he was in the building. And the oh, governor said, what oh building? Oh, my goodness. I said, the building that collapsed. And the governor said, Rudy, you, you got to go find him. Rudy, why did the seven World Trade Center collapse? That's the one at 4 o'clock? Yeah. Well, um, that was a big fight. Uh, and this is inside baseball. Uh, Howard Safer and I went against a lot of the establishment in our establishment to say OEM should not be in that building. It was on the 23rd floor. We knew from all the studies, from hurricanes to terrorist attacks. It should be in a sub-basement someplace. Well, we knew uh, lower Manhattan. We saw what happened uh, on 2012 when we got hit by Sandy. And that lower Manhattan was flooded, the tunnels and everything else. So we knew it was a bad location. 
But, you know, the opposition forces went out and they put it on the 23rd floor. And that was another story with some of the people who got trapped up there. But um, so that building was loaded with uh, spare fuel, wow. uh, um, bullets from Secret Service, uh, uh, gunpowder, you name it. It was in that building and it burned and it burned most of the day. And at four, around four o'clock, that building collapsed. Um, so, you know, uh, coming back, I worked with the governor and uh, I don't know if the governor want me to say this, but I'll say it anyway. He says, Rudy, I'm taking, we, we can't let Mark Green take this over. <laughs> you know, he said, I'm taking over the city. I said, okay, as a governor, I'm here, whatever you need me to do. It was election day, so the governor and I talked. We said, cancel the election. I told the governor, I said, FAA wasn't being scraped with me. They wasn't. They wouldn't tell us how many planes were taken. Nobody knew. And I told the governor, I'm fearful. I'm looking at thousands of people on the Brooklyn Bridge, which I thought was an excellent target. And the governor said, Rudy, then shut it down. You know, stop wow. the people, divert them, make them walk uptown, get them off the bridge. Um, cause we just didn't know. And FAA was not helpful to us. They didn't know either. Yeah, you didn't no, know, they didn't right? Either. Yeah. Governor I, Pataki? I talked to Mayor Giuliani first thing in the morning. Then when the towers came down, as Rudy knows, Rudy, uh, Washington, he was incommunicado for a couple of hours. Rudy, I told the governor, I thought he was, he was buried. I, you know, so, so Rudy Washington and I worked together to make sure that the city and the, and the state had a, had a, coordinated response right from the beginning. And uh, I have to tell you, Rudy Washington did a tremendous job that morning before Mayor Giuliani again was able to start to communicate. Well, so both of you. Now, did. Uh, Judge, you, did. you were at City Hall. Yes. And when it, it came down, it was, it was absolutely awful. And what we had to do is we couldn't operate out of City Hall. So we had to do emergency meetings. We used the New York Public Library to do legislative business because we still had to keep the city going. And I remember there were early discussions with Governor Pataki and Mayor Giuliani. We wanted to establish a commission to rebuild the city, if you remember that, Governor. Yeah. There were early talk- within, within hours, we were already thinking about the next thing to do because we want to send out a signal to the people that we were going to make sure that New York stood firm and we were going to See, rebuild it. Governor, Governor, I can't understand the way the borders are open right now. I mean – it's incomprehensible. It's John. incomprehensible. Uh, we are going to have attacks here in this country by terrorists who have crossed that southern border illegally. There's you no know, question. It's like uh, Judge it Weinberg has said, he says the fifth column is moving in. It's scary. By the way, I want to tell everybody, too, we have, of course, the migrant crisis is a huge issue here in New York. And just in about uh, – 20 minutes or so, we are going to have New York City Mayor Eric Adams is going to join us live, everybody, to talk about the migrant crisis and 9-11. So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. And uh, we have uh, Von Essen. Yep, the we've got the commissioner. Yep. coming on in about five minutes. Well, he'll come on with all of us. We can all talk to him. And oh, we're going to put him on. And then we have uh, uh, John Miller, the uh, former uh, uh, Deputy Commissioner of yep, Terrorism. Who interviewed Osama bin Laden. Uh, and also we have Frank Siller, of course, who heads From the Tunnel to Tower. Towers Foundation. And, of course, our own Bill O'Reilly at the end uh, to, to as our cleanup player to tell us what the heck is going on. Uh, let's welcome in Commissioner uh, Tom Van Essen. Uh, Commissioner, how are you? Oh, great, great. How you doing? Good. Uh, where were you on uh, 9-11? Oh, God, you want to hear that again? Oh, my sure? God, I don't know if I want to hear it again, but this is George Pataki, and I just, my heart breaks for you because, you know, I know where you were. We all know where you were that morning, and we all know how much it still hurts 22 years later. Yeah, it sure does, but thanks, Governor, and thanks, Rudy Washington. You've got a great crew on it. Uh, Mr. Katsimatidis, and uh, you got a great crew. Um, yeah, I was on East River Drive, got there real quick, got inside the building right away with my guys, and they knew they knew immediately it wasn't a small plane. They got guys up there in the elevators, which you could do, you know, the first few minutes, and then after that, guys had to use the stairs. So they knew it was a commercial jet. It just got worse and worse, and um, the day just just turned um, worse and worse as as it went on. Uh, Tommy, it's uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I know how, I know how difficult this is for you. It was difficult for all of us. You lost so many friends 
and colleagues that day, and you personally paid an enormous price for your leadership and your heroism. And, and God bless you, and I want to thank you for everything you did. I still, 22 years later, remember the, the work you did when I was at City Hall. Oh, thanks, Judge. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, for me, it was different. You know, uh, I think a lot of people come uh, just as managers or, um, you know, you get a political job, you go and run an agency. But for me, I had, you know, grown up in it for 32 years as a firefighter in the South Bronx and then union official. And I was blessed uh, the mayor asked me to do it. He'll, they'll never ask a union guy to do it again, I'm sure. But it was uh, it was a great run for me until September. Best job in the world. Uh, until September 11th, then turned into the worst. You know, it was just too close to too many people. Yeah. And uh, Commissioner, this is Rita Cosby. We're so happy and honored to have you on today. Um, you know, I think about obviously so many um, FDNY firefighters who lost their lives that day, and also many who have lost their lives since. Um, talk about that too, because we can never forget the sacrifice of the FDNY. You know, the, and thanks, Rita. Yeah, the the difference with a lot of our, our you know, the troops, they just go in for strangers. You know, when the, the chiefs right away knew that we couldn't put that fire out, but that didn't stop them from sending people up to help as many people as they could get out of the building. There was a lot of damage up there. We, we knew we couldn't really help as many people above the impact zone as we would like to, but there were an awful lot of people below the impact zone that had a lot of damage. They were trapped in their offices, doors that couldn't be opened. So, you know, you you walk up 50, 60, 70 flights of stairs, you're exhausted, but the guys just kept going, and uh, everybody had to walk up and walk down. It took an awful lot of time. So a lot of people self-evacuated, but there's hundreds of people, I'm sure, that wouldn't have gotten out if they hadn't seen uh, the firefighters up there and they hadn't had them help them, you know, get weight. People were trapped under desks. People were had all kinds of debris up there. So it's just um, it's just a lot of, you know, I did you anybody, the word hero. Did uh, anybody think those buildings were going to come down? Yeah, I think that the Chiefs knew those buildings. I mean, I was stood in, I stood in the lobby in the North Tower after the second uh, building got hit, the South Tower got hit. And Joe Downey walked right by me, and he was a battalion uh, chief up there, was the most knowledgeable guy in collapses, I think, in the country. And he said to me, I mean, I can still see his face. He said, boss, these buildings can come down. But uh, there was no urgency in his, in his eyes, you know, and I see those eyes today. I knew that he meant if, you know, we can't put these fires out, these buildings will come down. But in 102 minutes, no, I truly believe that there wasn't one fire officer in any one of the, either of those lobbies or out on West Street that believed it would happen that fast. Um, I, I, it was I just shocking, and it was shocking the way it came straight down. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I guess aftermath, I was worried that it might tip over, I mean, uh, and create a lot more well, you, damage. Well, you know, John, it was, it was hard for me. Um, and, Tommy, you were one of my favorites. You know that. Um, I was there in 93. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was, I, I went into the basement and I realized the placement of the truck was designed to make the building topple. And, and explain to everybody because that was when that was the, the, first burn, the first attack. That was, that was, the, exactly. first, that was exactly. the first attack. And like the governor, uh, talking about the border, I'm, I, I, I dismiss it as my being overly sensitive to the question of t- terrorism mm-hmm. because I lived it twice at the World Trade Center. And I truly believe to my gut that we're going to experience something very ugly uh, based upon what's happening at that border. Rudy, you're absolutely right. You know, George Santayana, the, the writer and philosopher, famously said, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. And I, I'm afraid, as, as you and Governor Pataki and, and John Rita believe, this is going to happen again. We're giving an invitation, an open invitation for another attack. There's, there's all kinds of wacky people coming through those borders. It, yeah. It's it's terrible. And nobody's stopping them. It, it's absolutely terrible. But uh, Commissioner Venice and Tommy, uh, I saw you at Ground Zero this morning, and it's got to be enormously hard for you to go back there. Um, one of the things that I committed is that we were going to rebuild and do the memorial right. As you look around, uh, what was your take as to certainly not the loss? We know how horrible that is and how hard, tough that is. What was your take as to 
how successful uh, educating future generations or memorializing those we lost is ground zero today. Well, two different things, Governor, and I think you're you're right. I think what you guys did, you and uh, Mayor Bloomberg and all the people that were the adults in the room with all the craziness that was going on at the time, you did a phenomenal job. And I, I am so proud of that memorial, of the fountains and the, and the trees and the, the property and everything. I, I just think it, it really does all that we, we should, that we owed, at least for memorializing our members and all the innocent civilians. Remember, they were all innocent people. There were no, there were no police, soldiers, uh, politicians. I, you know, there, there were people who, who, do, who not, don't deserve it. But, I mean, at least who you can fall, find some fault with if you're an enemy of the United States. Not with any of those people in, in those buildings. They're all innocent people. And I think that you guys, the, the politicians and, and the business people, have just done a great, great job in memorializing them. Now, educating the future generation, that's, that's a different story. I'm not so sure if people are really educated and thinking clearly, you know, about all these people that are in our country, this whole dear idea of being a sanctuary city. Boy, it sounds really good if you're actually giving sanctuary to people who come appropriately and properly and honestly and looking for jobs, yep. and they've been documented. We, we have yep. to take a hard break. Yep, Tommy. Uh, would, Tom, uh, uh, Commissioner, would you stay on till after the break again? Sure. Okay, Great. thank Great. you. Let's take that break. And we and, have Frank Siller And afterwards. we also have Frank Siller coming on at, uh, after the break, and the commissioner is going to stay on. And let's have a, a, a discussion. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. 77 WABC and Tumble Towers Foundation presents 9-11. 22 years later. Now, here's Katz and Cosby, John Katzimatidis and Rita Cosby. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. By the way, all day today, WABC joins the great Tunnel to Towers Foundation for a special day of tribute, remembering 9-11 22 years later. We will never forget America's heroes. Please listen all day for special programming. And thank you to the Tunnel to Towers for helping 9-11 victims and also their families. And the founder of uh, of Tunnels to Towers, we have with us Frank Siller. And staying on, uh, we have Commissioner uh, uh, Tom Van Essen in the studio, Governor Pataki, uh, Deputy Mayor Rudy Washington, and Judge Richard Weinberg. Well, uh, Frank Siller, you, this is your day today. Tell us about what's going on. Well, thanks for having me on, John. Rita, thank you. And listening, I was listening to the last segment. And, you know, there, it, it, what's going on is, you know, it's 22 years later, still very painful for 9-11 family members. <laughs> I know that firsthand. Lost my brother 22 years ago. At 9.59 a.m., when the South Tower came down, I knew in my heart, the hearts, not knowing how he got there that day, but I knew that he did get there. Uh, and when that tower came down, I remember saying to my mother-in-law, I think I just lost my brother. Okay. So it, it's a difficult day, very difficult day. And But it, it's, it shows like this. It's talking about all the lost souls of that day and making sure that we never forget. And also preparing. You know, you guys are talking about preparing because they would that day they would have loved if it, instead of 2,977 souls, if we put another zero and it was 29,770, they would have even been happier. Um, and we have to make sure that it doesn't happen again. I want to say to all those 9-11 family members, uh, I pray for you. I want to say to all those who have died in 9-11 illnesses, which is more than those who died on 9-11, I pray for them and will be there for their families, the young families that are left behind, and most certainly for the 7,000-plus men and women who went to war in the global war on terror uh, that gave their lives for our country and those who were maimed the most catastrophic injury where we built smart homes for these great heroes 
uh, thank you for your sacrifice and your families are not forgotten. And Tunnel to Towers will always be there for you. That is our promise. Governor Pataki, when, when the buildings first got hit, I remember hearing some crazy numbers like 10,000 or 20,000 Americans would be killed. Uh, was, were we lucky that it happened early? Uh, if it had happened later, we would have lost more. But uh, in part, it was the time. But in part, it was people like Frank's brother, uh, the people who had the guts to run into those towers. And, and yes, they weren't able to prevent uh, a catastrophe, but they did get thousands of people out who otherwise might have died. And I just want to, Frank, I just want to commend you for what you have done with the Tunnels to Towers Foundation. You, uh, what, you are net, not letting people forget. And equally important or more important, you are actually helping directly those who have suffered as a consequence of those attacks or the war on terror. And I don't know anybody in the country who is doing what you're doing, Frank. And Rudy Uh, Washington. uh, Yeah, I just wanted to say to the governor and and to the listening public, we would have had 50,000 people at 10 o'clock in the morning if they struck later in the morning. That many? 50,000? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Something like 50,000 people in those three buildings. And, um, wow. and if the governor remembered when we held the first press conference, which was like maybe 930 at night, and the discussion came up about numbers, and Rudy and the governor agreed, let's not put it out publicly, let's not even guess, because we really don't think America was ready to hear what we were thinking. Because we thought upwards of 20,000 people. Wow. And, and the governor and the mayor said, no, let's not speculate because the American public is not prepared to hear a number like that. Wow, that's amazing. By the way, uh, and we also still have Frank Siller here with the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Frank, I want to give a shout out also to you because I think I met you soon after 9-11, and I can't believe here it has been 22 years. You guys paid off mortgages of 22 homes this year alone. Uh, it, it is amazing what you do. Tell folks out there and how they can help. They've done over a 1,000. Yeah, they've had 22 yeah. this yeah, year yeah. alone. No, no, 22 today, Rita. 22 oh, today. today. All right, all right. To, to, mark the, to mark the 22nd anniversary because uh, our foundation has made a conscious effort to make sure that people understand that goodness will always triumph over evil. And that was the, that's why we've been doing the work that we've been doing to make sure uh, that we're not, we don't let that day to be you know remembered of just the deaths. But to remember and how do you make a con- tell our people how to make a contribution to all the people listening? I'm not doing that, John. Thank you. Rita, you you trying to help me? But today I don't talk about the money part of it. But I will tell people. Well, I can. I, our mission. You I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you because it's t2t.org. Because you know we're we're your biggest fans out there, Frank Siller. You know that. Thank you. Well, we do appreciate that, and I love our relationship uh, that we have. Uh, John has helped me many times in many different ways. Uh, uh, so I, I can't thank uh, your whole team over there at uh, WABC Radio for sure. And Com- Commissioner Van Essen, uh, anything else to have to say? No, you guys have said it. I, I, the work that uh, Frank has done to me is the best thing that's come out of this uh, September 11th. People always ask me anything good come out of it, and I always said no. But when I see what what he's done, for not so much even for firefighters, police officers, with his soldiers around the country, soldiers that were forgotten by these Maltese politicians that we have. That, that's what that is, that's one of the small things that makes me feel good about uh, September 11th. And Judge Weinberg? I want to give a, a shout-out to our colleague here who's often in the studio, Congressman Peter King. Peter is also one of the great heroes because he is responsible for making sure that there was federal money in to help the survivors with all the illnesses and if it wasn't for Peter King doing that, a lot of those people would have died without the proper medical care. So Peter's entitled well, to that. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Commissioner uh, uh, Von Essen, and thank you, uh, Frank Siller, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you, guys. Let's take a break Thanks. right now. We're going to come back with former uh, Deputy Commissioner of Terrorism, John Miller. And we have Mayor Eric Adams coming up. Mayor Eric live. Adams is coming on, and... Bill O'Reilly, so don't hang up on us, as Curtis would say. 77 WABC and Tumble Towers Foundation presents 9-11. 22 years later. Now, here's Katz and Cosby, John Katzimatidis, and Rita Cosby. 
And welcome back to Cats and Cosby as we are commemorating this 22nd anniversary of 9-11. And joining us now is John Miller, former Deputy Commissioner of Intelligence and Counterterrorism of the NYPD, also a CNN analyst. And uh, John, you were one of the first people to interview Osama bin Laden. I remember that, my friend. And the last. Yeah, wow. Tell us about your thoughts about 9-11 and also where we stand now in terms of the threat level, uh, having looked in the eyes of this uh, monster. Well, in terms of 9-11, what bin Laden did was he gave us a preview. In that interview in 1998, he said, I predict a black day for America. I'm declaring war and the states will no longer be united And you'll understand that this will be bigger than our war with the Russians when you carry the boxes back in coffins and in boxes. And, of course, in May of 1998, that sounded very far-fetched. On September 12th, we really had to reassess um, whether we were following those warnings, uh, whether we had failed in intelligence. But in a larger sense, if we could define what war looked like in a new millennium because... It was a non-state actor who managed to strike on multiple locations on U.S. soil and take 3,000 lives uh, from the ages of 2 to 85 years old um, and do so not as a country or a nation, um, just as a fanatical group led by a fanatical man. Why, uh, John, you were in charge of terrorism for our city. You worked for the FBI. Why are our borders open? Why are we allowing... Uh, terrorists to come through? Well, that's an easy question that you'd have to address to Congress. But until we have a Congress that is not so divided and not so stuck on political power rather than getting business done, until we have a clear, coherent border policy, um, this is what the Trump administration struggled with, and they were able to access exigent um, circumstances due to COVID to shut down the border. It's what the Biden administration struggles with. It's what the Obama administration struggled with. It's what the Bush administration struggled with. Congress has to do its job. Uh, John, this is George Pataki, and thank you for your service. But I have to say, uh, Biden is the president. Uh, he has enormous executive powers. And in my view, uh, yes, you can say wait till Congress does something. But uh, Trump at least tried. Uh, and Biden isn't even acknowledging the border problem. And uh, when it comes to terrorism, particularly on this horrible day, um, do you think there's a significant threat because of the undocumented aliens who are just streaming across the border, including people we know are on the no-fly list? I think that we have built a very good detection system in terms of the terrorist screening center in terms of the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, the creation of the DNI, the unification of the capabilities of the intelligence community to detect this. Um, But that's always going to be a risk. And that is, if you followed the recent story about um, people coming from a particular foreign country uh, being brought in by a smuggling ring that is connected to an individual who has contact with ISIS leaders, that was an example of, A, human smuggling um, and the exploitation of of a challenged border system, but also the intelligence community picking up on those communications and being able to track and trace those people and determine what that looks like. Now, the headline might be hundreds of potential terrorists smuggled into the country by ISIS-connected smuggler. Um, The more likely story, as the intelligence pans out, is a criminal smuggling operation with an operator who also had connections to terrorists. But it was an example of it was an example of the intelligence community detecting it um, and then retracing its steps and then vacuuming up as much of it as they could. And that's still going on today. But John, this is Rudy Washington. How are you doing? Very well, I Mr. Re- Deputy Mayor. I remember you as a young man sitting in a cave with a guy next, with an M16 or whatever it was next to him, uh, and you're telling how you were blindfolded uh, and taken to him. Uh, I remember that. However, you just outlined uh, a lot of systems we put in place, but what I'm not hearing is the arrest, the picking up of these people. So we know they are here, but how does that help us in terms of collecting them? 
Well, they're being tracked one at a time, um, and they're being vetted and examined and interviewed, and that process has been going on. It was going on for a, a period of time before the story came out, and it's continuing, and every indication they're getting is that these are you know, just part of the flow of people coming from all over the world who are trying to find a better life and trying to get into the United States. There has been no indication, according to uh, my contacts at Homeland Security and the FBI, that a terrorist cell has been embedded and snuck in there. But again, they have to get through the whole thing. Um, either way, it would be compromised and exposed at this point. Deputy Commissioner uh, John Miller, and thank you for coming on. We have the Mayor Adams is coming on right now, so we have to interrupt this interview. And, and uh, we hope we can catch up with you again real soon. I'll be listening. Tell him I said hey. Thank you. Breaking news, WABC. The mayor of the city of New York. Absolutely. New York City Mayor Eric Adams joining us now live here on Cats and Cosby. Mr. Mayor, great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And I think uh, uh, John Katz is my fellow Virgo. Yes, he is. That's right. You just had a birthday recently, too. That's right. That's right. Happy birthday, John. Sorry I couldn't get to your event. They had me all over the place. Well, next same time next year. Mayor, this is Rudy Washington. You didn't have a party that you didn't invite me to. Uh, no, never, never, never. I got one coming up. I'll make sure you're there. Sounds good. Well, uh, we're, as New Yorkers, uh, we've been having discussions all day, and and we had uh, Deputy Commissioner, former Deputy Commissioner of Terrorism, uh, uh, John Miller, who says hello to you, on just now. And a lot of New Yorkers are, are speculating that there's so many people coming through that border that they're scared that we're getting some possible terrorists coming through that border and that 9-11 could happen again. It, it's, it's clear that uh, on the southern borders and even the northern borders, uh, we have to make sure that there are proper precautions, you know, Custom Border Patrol uh, and all of the vetting that's necessary should be in place uh, for terrorism and any other act of violence. And I think that we have to trust the federal government that that's being done um, by the time they arrive here. New York City is not part of that process. We have to take the information that we have and make sure we safeguard our city. You know, how dire of a crisis are we in, Mr. Mayor, now? Because you made a lot of headlines in the last 24 hours that uh, the migrant crisis, that we will face a financial tsunami. And how yes. bad do you think? Is there a chance that we could be cutting back even on police um, and all of this? And, and what do you say to folks who say, you know, why... Should we be putting Americans first before the migrants? And, and, and you know, people are tempted to take uh, my very candid, real talk with New Yorkers uh, as being anti-immigrant, anti-immigration, which is really silly. Uh, my relationship with the immigrant community throughout this city uh, from all walks of life is commendable on so many levels. But I'm not going to be untruthful to New Yorkers. Uh, we are dealing with a major crisis. When you talk about $5 billion this fiscal year, when we do our November plan, that's $5 billion. That's the combination of when you look at what we're going to be spending. It is the uh, fire department, Department of Sanitation, and Parks Department combined. combined. That money has to come from somewhere. And taxpayers have really shouldered the burden of this for over a year without any real substantial help. I take my hat up to the governor and uh, Speaker Hasty and Majority Leader Cousin uh, for the billion dollars they had allocated in the last budget. Uh, but we need help. You know, Washington gave us 104 million, around 104 million of out of a five billion dollar price tag. That's just not enough, and the current keep coming. Rita, we're getting 10000 a month of migrant and asylum seekers. This is wrong for the migrant and asylum seekers to be living this way, and it's wrong for everyday New Yorkers uh, to be going through this. Uh, Mr. Mayor, I mean, New Yorkers are worried, uh, you're, and you're going to be cutting the budgets. Uh, what? 
what should we do? I mean, they, right now, Manhattan uh, is, uh, uh, people are worried walking around. You know, our stores used to be open till midnight. They're not open to midnight anymore. The, the cashiers, the, the stock boys don't want to work till midnight. The restaurants don't, are not open till uh, midnight or 10 o'clock at night. And after dark, people are scared to walk around. What do we do? Well, I, I think that the the reality is we have to take people from how they felt at the beginning, January first, twenty twenty two, to how they actually feeling now. Uh, we are we have some real W's that we put on the board, some real points. Uh, we decreased crime as I committed on the campaign trail. Uh, five of our seven major crimes. Uh, you see a impressive decline, uh, de- decrease in shooters, decrease in homicides. Uh, subway ridership is back up. Uh, people are back on the subway. You remember how it was uh, during uh, those early days, losing someone that's like Michelle Gold being shoved to the subway track. Uh, we, we, we're capping out at 4 million riders. We're doing probably 3.6, 3.7 million riders a day. Uh, 99% of our jobs are back. You're seeing people coming back to the office spaces. So we have W's, but we have more to go. I know what this city can become, and I know what we need to get there. Uh, What what can we do, uh, Mr. Mayor? What can we do to back up our police officers? Because they are scared to make arrests sometimes because they may get in trouble. No, not under this administration. Uh, You talk to the average police officers, and they would tell you, this is a mayor that has shown I'm going to send you out on the front line. And I'm going to support you while you're out there. We did it by giving them a contract that's respectable. They had over a 97% ratification on their contract. And some very touchy situations and scenarios uh, where it appears as though the loudest, the loud but the smallest numbers were going to have us turn against our officers. And I stood with them. I'm going to make sure they get the support they deserve. All of us remember those chilling photos of watching someone pouring water over the heads of police officers. That's not happened in this administration. We will get the protection and the justice. They go hand in hand. Mr. Mayor, I love our city. You know I do. And and we want to help in any way we can. Every New Yorker wants to help you. In eight weeks, we have 51 out of 51 city council seats up. We don't need any more socialists. We don't need people that don't want the right thing for New York City. Uh, will you help? create a list of who's good for New York and who's not? We're going to be loud and clear to tell people who have strongly stood for everyday New Yorkers and real partners. You know, we, I take my hat off to uh, the speaker in the city council, Adrian Adams. You know, we've been able to land two budgets during difficult times. Uh, we're in talk now as we do this uh, budget uh, modification uh, we, we're going to need real partners as we navigate through, through this process. You know, um, I want to ask you, Mr. Mayor, too, uh, kind of going back to the migrant issue, where is the end in sight? Because until they plug the hole at the border, um, it, it, you, we're just going to keep needing more money. I mean, where is Rita, the end game? Rita, and, you know, I said it at the town hall in a very candid fashion to New Yorkers. Uh, that's my concern. I don't see an end in sight. Uh, you think about it, 10000 a month. Uh, we are we are not not allowed to turn back buses. We are not allowed to tell people they can't uh, come to the city. Uh, we have to comply with the law. Uh, but ten thousand a month is not sustainable. It's uh, not twenty nine around roughly twenty nine hundred uh, a week. Uh, we are now going to have to start thinking about putting women and children into shelters into congregate settings. Uh, you know, there are some very drastic actions that are going to take place in the next series of, of weeks and months that, you know, I want to be honest with New Yorkers and prepare them for it. Mr. Mayor, uh, last question. Uh, we, uh, uh, we had Tom DiNapoli on. The 500,000 uh, wealthy New Yorkers have moved out and the tax rolls are 30% down in income taxes. So you're, if we're spending $5 billion on migrants and our tax rolls are down, at what point do, do we blow up? Well, uh, you know, greater uh, economic mind, mind than, my, than my mind uh, know, uh, you know, what is the, you know, tipping scale between 
uh, not getting real estate taxes, uh, taxes from in our office builders, uh, people back into office spaces. Uh, but uh, let's be clear on this, what many people need to understand. Uh, the migrants want to work, and we have large number of jobs. You know it in, in, in your profession. We have jobs in all these different industries. Uh, so it is really unfortunate uh, that the, the greatest symbol we have as a country is your right to work. That's the precursor to sleep to allow you to experience the American dream is your ability to work. All of us, the difference between uh, the countless number of people that have come through Ellis Island, arriving here, is that they were able to provide for their families and move to American society and be absorbed into the society. And now this con- congestion pricing. People are worried yes. that we have one one uh, uh, nail in the coffin already of New York City, that we're going to put another nail in the coffin. Can we stop it? Can we wait for New York to make a comeback? Can somebody tell the uh, the MTA, wait for New York to make a comeback and we'll give you congestion pricing. Don't put another nail in the coffin. Well, the, 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 the state made the decision. The federal government gave the uh, authorization. Uh, I think we're beyond that uh, now. Uh, the name of the game is how do we do it fairly, that it's not going to have a negative impact on the environment and a negative impact on um, everyday New Yorkers. And uh, uh, Mr. Mayor, we stand yep. by you. Yep. And mm-hmm. we want you to succeed because we stand by you. But, you know, it's we all have to stand together against uh, what's going on in Washington. Yeah, boy. Well said. Well, well said. You know, and I, and I say all the time, Rita and John, that, you know, right now uh, I'm the pilot of this plane. And instead of people praying that the plane crashes, they should be praying that I can land it because we're all on this together. Yeah, one thousand percent. Listen, we do want to. Before it's I let, thank you. Before well, I let you go, yeah, we, I want to ask you real quick about nine yeah. eleven. Your thoughts, because what an important day it is—the anniversary, Mr. Mayor. You no, know, so significant. I was sharing earlier uh, that my kid brother was a sergeant in the police department at the time, and I was a lieutenant in the eighty eighth precinct, and we could not reach each other for some time because remember, uh, the telephone lines on our mobiles were were down, and finally I was able to reach him. Uh, but you couldn't really exhale because we knew we lost hundreds of first responders. And it was a significant day. But as we acknowledge today and those we lost, let's not forget that September 12th we got up and we showed the terrorists uh, that we were not going to run, we were not going to flee. And when we got up, the entire country got up. Uh, New York City is America's country, American city. And so uh, we were ground zero for the terrorism. And we were ground zero for how to rise above it. Mayor Eric Adams, thank you for coming on and thank you. And we'll, we want to have you on again because New Yorkers need leadership and they need you to provide it right now because uh, New Yorkers are worried. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Are we going to take a break before we go to Bill O'Reilly? Let's take a quick break. Then we'll go to Bill O'Reilly and we'll have a discussion. 77 WABC and Tumble Towers Foundation presents 9-11. 22 years later. Now, here's Katz and Cosby, John Katzimatidis and Rita Cosby. And we are back here on Katz and Cosby. Uh, we just had New York City Mayor Eric Adams calling in with some breaking news on such a busy day. And joining us now is the great Bill O'Reilly. Of course, you can hear Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly every night, 9 to 10 p.m. Uh, Bill, take it away. Well, we do uh, two stories tonight on Common Sense that I think everybody will be interested in. The first one is how the jihadists were dismantled by the U.S. government. Uh, I wrote a book on it called Killing the Killers, and most of the information in the book is classified to this day. We were able to get that information, um, and I think that um, people in New York City in particular want to see justice, and largely justice was rendered in the 20 years after we were attacked. But how? And that's what I write about in Killing the Killers, and very explicit, very, you know, what we did to get um, al-Qaeda, what we did to get ISIS, what we did to take out the Iranian guy, Soleimani, all of that, and which president was responsible, who did what. 
And the second story that I zero in on is 10 days after 9-11 on September 21st, 2011. There was a telethon, you guys may remember that, a televised situation on every network that raised $350 million. And every movie star couldn't get in there fast enough to try to get on the phone and, and have people donate. Okay. Three months after that telethon, only 15% of the money had been distributed to the families who were hurting. And I knew that because the families were contacting me directly. Most of them were in New York, the New York area, who had lost loved ones and were almost destitute. And the charities wouldn't give up the money. And I then launched, and talk about a jihad, against those charities, United Way, Red Cross, all the rest of them, and forced them to start to distribute the donated money to the families. But guess who opposed me? Who? George Clooney, the guy who organized the celebrity telethon, called me a liar. Now, why did he oppose you, Bill? Because that's what narcissists do. I had asked every celebrity who was on that telethon to join me in encouraging these charities to get on it. And they had every excuse in the book. Oh, we don't have enough people. We, we have to be careful. We have to do that. It was all bull. But only four celebrities stepped up. Clint Eastwood, Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell, and the singer James Brown. All the rest of them, and why? Because you don't go against the Hollywood culture. But to this day, I bear a grudge against George Clooney. I should. What are you, what are you going to talk about tonight at 9 o'clock when you have more time than we have now? Both of those things, John. Well, 9 we'll o'clock to 10 o'clock on WABCRadio.com, 770 on your dial, and on com. I'm going to be tuning in at 9 o'clock to listen to Bill O'Reilly, and I hope everybody else does. Thank you, Bill O'Reilly. Sorry we ran short on time because of the mayor. And, uh, guys, thank you all for being here today. And yep. And also, John, by the way, I want to give a shout-out to the Tunnels to Towers Foundation uh, for the special day of tribute, remembering 9-11, T2T.org, everybody. Great group. Great group, and they do great things for our, uh, our uh, people. Uh, guys, thank you. What do we stand for? Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.